Hello. So this is Zach again. Uh, you either are listening to our channel like normal, and th that's great. Hello, welcome. Uh, love you all. Or you've been directed here by Pastimes. Uh, this is the second of the two panels that me and Nick recorded uh, to help at Pastime Games. So very quickly, this is the casual play design panel put on by... Uh, Pastime events. Uh, it had Sarah Mox, who works in casual play design. It had Melissa DeTora, who is the head of casual play design. And it had Gavin Verhey, who is like a principal designer at Wizards of the Coast. You probably have heard of him. Together, they uh, answered some questions, gave some stories, and basically talked about casual play design, which is the design leading commander, uh, any like battle bond sets that might come out in the future, et cetera, et cetera, stuff like that. So um, this is kind of a more open-ended discussion. Uh, they will introduce themselves and we just hope you all enjoy the content. So that's all for the backstory. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Hey, everybody, we're going to get started. Uh, thank you so much for coming out to Command Fest Bellevue once again. We're so excited that the gathering is back and we're here today to talk to you about Commander. Uh, I have with me two people who need literally zero introduction, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I have Melissa DeTora and Gavin Verhey. In lieu of an introduction, I would like to know, what are you doing at Wizards these days, Melissa? Hello, everyone. Great question. <laughs> um, so I spent a lot of my magic career doing balance work. So um, on the former development team, then on play design, and we just created a new play design team for commander and casual play. And I'm leading that team. So that's what I'm doing at Wizards these days. <laughs> Good morning, Bellevue. I'm Gavin Verhey from Wizards of the Coast. And I'm so excited to be here today on this panel with Melissa and Sarah. I am a principal magic designer. So I design what these crazy cardboard squares do. Um, I've led a lot of commander products. Most recently, the lead designer for the Commander Legends Baldur's Gate Commander decks. Uh, so that's a big <laughs> that's thing that I worked on. And I've got a bunch of really cool stuff in the hopper. So I'm busy designing a bunch of upcoming commander decks and products. And then Melissa and her team is what I kick my products off to to help make sure they get balanced appropriately. Because, you know, we're making a lot of commander stuff. We want to make sure that it's appropriately balanced and trying to hit the right target. So a lot of careful work is done there. That way, my ridiculous magic Magic cards actually have you know someone very smart working on them to make sure that they, they turn out turn out well and and also I don't want to undersell the third member of the panel Sarah what, what do you do at Wizards so I uh, lead the team with Melissa she is the technical lead which means she does all of the development of our amazing amazing designer skills in designing magic cards and I am the people lead so I take care of all of the Wizards direction of the team and I work with leadership on sort of, I for a while have worked with leadership on the direction of the format and how we're doing with products and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've all done a lot of stuff at Wizards. And, uh, and actually, what was your involvement with Command Fest? <laughs> yeah, we're really trying to, to, to talk about Command Fest, Sarah. Okay, tell fine. Them, all right, tell, we're at Command tell them why they should all be thankful. Okay, so I'm really excited to be here, mostly because I want to see everybody again. But back in 2019, I was part of the team that created this event in the first place. And so... It's very emotional to me to see it exist again, and I'm so excited that you all are here to enjoy this thing that was in our head three years ago, where we were like, well, what would happen if we actually gave Commander players space to play and focused on them as a cool event? So thank you for bringing that to life. It is Can we get around for Sarah for Command Fest? I mean, come on. That's amazing. That's amazing, everyone. We're here right now in part because of her, so great work, Sarah. Thank you very much. Uh, so I want to go back in the time machine because I think these kinds of stories are very cute. I want us all to talk about how we got started at Wizards. And then after that, I think that we will talk a little bit about Commander and then we will take your questions. So start thinking about it now. But first, I'm going to put Melissa on the spot. How did you get started at Wizards? All right. How did I get started at Wizards? Great question. This takes me back like, <laughs> like seven years ago or a so. While. Anyway, uh, so a while back, I was playing on the Pro Tour um, and I was doing pretty well, being pretty consistent on the Pro Tour. And back then, uh, recruiters from Wizards would go to Pro Tours and just watch players and just kind of look to see, hey, would any of them be good fits for our team? And that kind of thing. So uh, the lead at the time, who was Dave Humphreys, mm. who is now a... Prince architect? He's architect. He's a very high up person, and he led design sets like Kamigawa yep. and War of the Spark and a bunch of other amazing sets. Uh, so he was leading that team at the time, and he was watching my games at, like, various Pro Tours over 
six months to a year or mm -hmm. so. And then he emailed me and he was like, hey, we have uh, a spot opening up soon. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, I think I'd be interested. Yeah, I've been playing Magic forever. I guess. So this seems that like sounds fine. the natural next step, you know? <laughs> uh, so from that, it was like a series of like interviews and design tests and that kind of thing to like make sure that I would be an okay fit for the team. And sure. they thought I was. So they let me come work at Wizards and here I am. And I just, I want to pause for a second because Melissa said something to the effect of, I was doing pretty solidly on the Pro Tour. Melissa, you were the first woman to ever top eight a Pro Tour in Magic the Gathering history. I feel very starstruck to be on a stage with you at all because you have done so much to inspire like so many people to show that Magic is really for everyone. And I think it's such a natural progression for you to be on the team that is leading the format that is truly just magic for everyone. And I love it. So thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Gavin, take me back. Not all the way to where you fell down a volcano, but back to where you started at Wizards. How did you get started at Wizards? Well, that's even before the volcano. We got to go back even further. Oh, my gosh. We got to go back to the primordial age. Primordial well, age. if you would all know, if you <clears throat> followed my YouTube channel, Good Morning Magic, like and, <laughs> and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Uh, I started uh, playing Magic as a young child when I was 10 years old. And when I was 11, I decided I want to come work at Wizards. So I spent the next 10 years of my life uh, trained to become a magic designer. <laughs> and then uh, when I graduated college, um, I was uh, contacted to come work at Wizards of the Coast. So I played professionally. I designed cards for funsies. Mm -hmm. I uh, got to know a lot of the people. And there's a much longer version on my channel. But that's the short version of, uh, of kind of how it happened for me. And I'm so grateful that I get to do what I do now and slowly become uh, more and more a face of magic, which is uh, an honor I take very deeply. And so cool being in this room with all y'all and talking with y'all about the game that we make because it, what we do would mean nothing without all of you, right? We'd just yeah. be in our rooms typing words into spreadsheets. <laughs> the fact that all of you are out here playing is what makes the game the game. So thank you for that. It is yes. truly incredible. Yes, and uh, so in our hometown, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. It is so amazing to have y'all in our backyard. Uh, so Gavin, I would say, I think his like, the most direct path toward being a game designer, given that he decided when he was 11 years old. If you ever ask a Wizards of the Coast employee or really anyone in the game industry, how did you get into the game industry? I think most of them would say, well, it's something involved in falling backwards down a set of stairs and now I design games. It's a weird career path. Uh, I myself uh, came to Wizards six years ago um, and I came from politics. It's a crazy space, but I started at Wizards because I was in the Magic the Gathering judge program at the time, um, and I was a level one judge. So great. Uh, and I ended up at Wizards to be the judge manager for a while, uh, and now I am ended up in design. So uh, we all have interesting, interesting paths uh, to get to where we are, but here we are. Uh, and I would say, too, to that, that I'm sure someone out there, at least one of you in the audience, wants to work at Wizards someday. And I would say that um, the biggest advice I always give to folks who want to come work on magic design is spend time studying magic and magic design. Play a lot of games. Try designing your own magic cards yeah. and magic sets. You will learn a ton from yes. doing so. Honestly, just the process of making your own set, you will learn so much by doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you feel like you're eventually ready... You know, we do have job postings that go up on our website for game design in several departments. Also, if you have other skills that apply to Wizards, one of the cool things about working at Wizards, what I love, is if you're anywhere inside Wizards, <laughs> you can have the chance to work on Magic. Yep. So, like, we bring in people all the time from our digital teams or our communication teams or, or our events teams. Events teams, that, yeah, yeah, to come and do play tests. So, yep. literally any, anywhere in the company, you can have a chance to... D&D, &D, right? Lots of chances for D&D mm -hmm. &D to come do Magic stuff. So, uh, if anything on our jobs page interests you, please apply. And keep an eye for those game design positions. They're open very rarely, but when they do show up, send an application in. And in the meantime, train up for them. Yep. Thanks so much for that. All right, so we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about the format for why we all are all here. I would love to hear a little bit from both Melissa and Gavin about sort of where you see Commander going in the next five years. What do you think the challenges are? Because we've had this amazing format for over a decade, and we've really been putting a focus on it at Wizards. So, Melissa, you want to get us started about, like, what do you think the challenges are upcoming, and where are we going? All right, that was a lot of questions. So many, sorry. But... <laughs> Uh, so the challenges. Uh, so we've been making a lot of products these days. We're making lots of like different types of products. We make premier sets, which are standard and competitive focused. And we make commander products, which are obviously commander focused. And we, we're doing universes beyond now. And we're doing a commander deck with every set. So we're just making a lot of products. So like one of the big challenges 
that I have for my team is things like power creep. Mm -hmm. The more products we make, the game is just going to naturally get more powerful as time goes on, as we add more cards to the format and give players more options. So my team is trying to prevent that from happening as, as best we can. It's kind of inevitable with like the amount of, you know, Magic is 30 years old at this point and Commander goes back like the entire time, right? So like Commander is very powerful. We can play Sol Ring and Mana Crypt. So it's like really hard to design cards when we have, you know, those things in the format that we have to like always be aware of. So what we're trying to do is just design things that are just like niche and novel and just like give players like options for just more like narrow or like niche decks mm -hmm. and less generic stuff. And I think like a lot of what we're focusing on too, uh, one of the things that I hear day in and day out in the pit is where's the fun? Let's find the fun. And so it's, it's partially about power, but it's also about like, how do we make this new space seem very fun? And how do we keep our old cards kind of integrated with that and, and keeping things fun? Gavin? We're in an interesting time, aren't we? You know, you think about Commander, it came out in 2011, those first decks launched. And no one, like Commander was a, a tiny, tiny thing. Like no one played Commander. It was a small group of judges, a handful of people. And we launched these decks. Actually, Melissa and I did a great episode about it where we talked about how originally it wasn't even supposed to be a Commander set. That was like, like the backup we had planned in case the main thing we we're making didn't work out. So like it wasn't even really supposed to happen. And now here we are. 11 years later, and Commander is huge. It's gigantic. We have Command Fest dedicated to it. And I think for those first 10 years, so much about Commander was getting people into the format. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we br bring up Commander? How do we get people playing Commander? That's no longer the issue. Mm -hmm. Commander is the most popular way to play Magic the Gathering in the world. Yep. It is. It has events like this. So to me, the next stage of challenges is not how do we get people playing Commander, but how do we make sure that the games of Commander are the best games they can be, Absolutely. either from a power level perspective, as Melissa talked about, or from simply a how do you find the right group to play with, right? How do you make sure that your decks are balanced against each other? Because when you have a great commander game with the right group of people, it's awesome and the best thing ever. And when you sit down and someone stacks you out when you were playing your Hammered Tribal deck, it's like not very fun, you know? We've all been there. My Hammered Tribal deck is sad. So it's, um, I think that's something that we face that we're working on. And there's a lot of stuff we're doing on both the design side of the game to, to balance um, elements that we think will be good for making sure that people who are playing currently are having a great time. And then on the events side, we're trying out some new things. We're working on some new things to help make sure that the games you play are truly the best games we can make it. And, you know, I can't make your friends be nice to you, <laughs> but we can at least try and make sure the games you play are as good as possible. So, Yeah, I, I think that uh, you hit exactly what I feel on the head is that one of the biggest challenges that we have is not how do we grow this format? You are here. We have grown. It's how do we keep it fun and keep you all having fun in the next 10 years? And I think communication is such a huge part of that. Um, we, there's a lot of discourse in the community about the rule zero conversation. And I think for me, one of the biggest challenges is like, how do we move away from simply talking about power level and, and starting to learn to articulate what the experience is that we want when we're sitting down to a commander game? Because it's tough. All right. Question time? Huh? Question, Question time. time, yes. Woo. Okay, so now that we have blabbed for a few minutes, we would love to answer you all's questions. So we have a little microphone up here. If you guys could have like a little line that's like probably down the center so everybody can still see. And then we'll just take your questions uh, one at a time. The usual caveats apply. We work for this company. We make card games in the future. And so please don't ask us anything that will make us sad because we can't answer it. We love answering questions about our work. We can't tell you any secrets. But given that, please come ask us questions. Does anybody have anything that they want? The burning questions? All right. We have, it's always ahead. the brave person who gets brave up first, and first. then the cube Hello. begins to go large behind them. But, sir, you are brave, and I appreciate that about you. Awesome. Well, nice to meet you all. Yes. So, kind of back to your challenges that you were just, you know, discussing from a design standpoint. What kind of design challenges stem from not owning centrally at Wizards, like the rules and the ban list for mm. Commander specifically, and then? <laughs> Sorry. You know, maybe as a follow-up to that, is there any sort of progression in which that becomes the new reality, and is that better from a design perspective, in your opinions? So, what I hear you asking about is sort of how does our relationship with the Commander RC sort of affect how we design Magic cards? Is that... I think it's less so regarding your relationship with them, and mm -hmm. more just from a flat, if you don't own this, and you have to go somewhere else for it, 
does that cause challenges from a design perspective? Well, I think that uh, that still all very centers on sort of how do we do this thing where we have this grassroots community who brought up this format. How do we help foster it uh, to make sure that it is what y'all want to see? Uh, Gavin, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it is weird, isn't it, right? It's the biggest format in the game, and it's the one format we, we don't control. So that, that, that's kind of unusual, right? But a, a few things there. First of all, we have a great relationship with the Commander Rules Committee. You know, Sheldon even came to work at Wizards for a little while back and helped make the Silver Quill deck, among other things. So we've got a great relationship. Scott Larrabee works at Wizards. We've got a really great working relationship with them. And second of all, in my opinion, look, Commander came from them. They've done a great job getting the format at this point. They're all really smart people. I trust them and I trust their decisions. And yes, there would be things that might make our design jobs easier if, I don't know, hybrid were legal or something like that. But I I trust their opinions. I really, really, truly do. And when Sheldon's like, I want it this way, or Toby's like, I want it this way, or Scott's like, I want it this way, I'm like, that all makes sense. So we have a great narrative and a great back and forth with them on things. And um, I'm really happy with the relationship that we have. And um, I think they do a very good metered approach to stuff. Yeah. And frankly, we're all really busy people. We got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And the fact that people like Sheldon, Toby, um, Gavin, other Gavin, the one I'll fight to the death, <laughs> and uh, and Scott to a lesser extent, although because he does work at Wizards, have the time to just really think about Commander. Like I- I've been to Sheldon's house; he spends a lot of his time just thinking about Commander, and he can just really dedicate himself to that, which is so valuable and so incredible. So they do us a huge service by help by helping us out with the format, and uh, I feel like our design is not hindered; it's actually helped a significant amount by working with them on stuff. Yeah, it's actually a superpower to have these amazing people who we have such a great relationship who really have the pulse on the community at all times because, you know, as Gavin says, we're super busy and uh, we keep an eye on what's happening in the community, but they're able to give us this sort of like focused feedback every set. We're going to them and we're saying, here's what we're doing. How can we work with you to make this better? And they come to us with stuff that we might not have even thought about because we aren't with y'all all the time. So I really appreciate it. Melissa, do you have thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just also add, um, so the RC, they're also like very in touch with the community as yeah. well and always gathering feedback from all of you guys. Um, I don't know how recent it was, but they also have this group called the Commander Advisory Group, which is just mm-hmm. people from out in the community with like a bunch of different backgrounds. You know, there's like the competitive players, there's the casual players, there's the people who play at the LGS, the people who play at their kitchen tables. So like lots of different perspectives. And they meet all the time to just talk about things like, hey, what direction should we take, Commander? Where should we take this rule? Uh, what do you guys think about the ban list and that kind of thing? So, like, they're constantly asking, like, all of you guys. Like, they're all active on social media as well. So, like, anyway, the point is they're very community-focused and, like, yeah. really looking for feedback from all of you guys. Yep. That helps us a ton. All right. Let's go to the next question. Hello. Uh, first of all, I just want to say huge fan. I think we're all a little bit starstruck right now. <laughs> so you're doing great work. Thank you. I'm amazed you're up here. I, I, it's, it's really great to see you. I'm starstruck yeah, too. Yeah, we're pretty starstruck seeing so many people who love the things we do every day. It's fantastic. Um, so if we're talking about competitive magic, the pro sure. tour or grinding GPs, that's a heads up duel, right? Comp REL um, is it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing that's kind of all where you cut your teeth or at least Melissa and Gavin. Can you talk about the transition from that to designing for commander? where it's still balance, but now it's a four-player pod and it's just trying to be fun instead of like a strategic or competitive balance? That is such a great question. It is so good. I think, yeah, Melissa. Um, (laughs) All right, so the biggest difference is in a competitive format, you have these like clear lines like for power level. If a card is above that line, it's too strong. It'll have disastrous effects on the format. We might have to ban something. In Commander, that's not true. That's like never going to be true. Um, there's no like clear lines where like this card is over, therefore it's too strong. Mm-hmm. It's more about play pattern and and fun. Yep. So for fun, the biggest thing that I look at is is this fun for all four people involved? So like really kind of put myself in the opponent's shoes. Like are they having a good time when I cast this card? Is everybody happy? Yep. You know, so like that's what I think about with fun yep. for casual formats. And for play pattern, it's just kind of like, like, is everybody having a good time playing? If so, this card is probably okay to push. If this card is miserable, we're probably going to tone yep. it down a bit. Yeah, so fun and play pattern are the two biggest things for casual play. That's different from competitive. 
Yeah, I think so you hit on something that's super fascinating about these teams that we have. So as you might all know or might not, um, we have two play design teams at Wizards. We have the competitive play design team, which is where uh, Melissa came from, which came to lead uh, casual play. And then we have the casual play design team. The competitive play design team all has this, you know, background where they were together on the tournament circuit. And so they're all very ready to kind of like jump in and they know those lines that Melissa talks about. The casual play design team, we've brought in a group of such diverse voices and diverse perspectives in Commander. We have folks who are really, really focused on super casual, easy, low power Commander. Then we have folks who really love CEDH. And so when we are in our play tests, what we are trying to focus on is how are we serving each and all of those? And we work on things like, how does this work for the new player? How does this work for the low power player? Is this really focused in competitive? And kind of what is the balance of all of those cards? And so the challenge is that Commander is as multi-flavored as Magic gets. And it's also, again, a superpower because we get so many more cool Magic ideas by having all these different voices who've come into the building with us. Do you have any more thoughts, Gavin? Do you guys want to hear what I have to say? <laughs> I think maybe. Good, good, good. Excellent. Good All right. Um, no, I, uh, I'm going to tell a bit of a story. Story time with Gavin. Hello. <laughs> um, so I was hired in Wizards to do competitive balance. That's what I did. Uh, competitive one-on-one balance. I had never played Commander. Uh, I, I was not a Commander player. I was like, this Commander thing's kind of silly. It's not really for me. Can you even believe that? Um, yeah. <laughs> why would I want to do this four-player, multi-player thing? And so um, I'd been at Wizards for a few years. And my manager came to me one day, and he was like, hey, we have your first shot at a lead product design. And I was like, sick. I've wanted this for a long time. Like, so excited. I get to lead my first ever Magic set. I'm ready for this. What am I doing? He said, well, here's the deal. Here's the rub. It's going to be a Commander set. You're going to have to lead Commander 2017. And I was like, ooh. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I don't really know about this one, right? So I was like, can you give me the weekend to think about it? And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, think about it over the weekend, come back to me, and you'll be more opportunities in the future. Like, if you want to take it, great. If you don't, whatever. And so I flew to New York that weekend because that's just what I do in my life sometimes. Yep. And I walked by, I was just in New York hanging out, whatever, and I had a free afternoon. And I walked by this game store called The Uncommons. If you've ever been to New York, it's a cute little game store. And I went in, and it's right after Commander 2015, I think, had come out. And there were four players in the back who had each bought a pre-con. And uh, they're like, hey, we actually have room for one more. Do you want to like sit down? Do you want to sit down and play with us? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, sure. I'll give this thing a try. So I bought a, bought a commander deck off the shelf, sat down and played with them. And, and I had a, such an incredible time. And I remember halfway through the game, I, I said out loud, this is really fun. <laughs> and I was like, they're like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, we, we know that. Surprised? That's that's, that's what, we're, what we're here for. Um, and so I had a really great experience, and I thought about it the whole time. So I came back on Monday, and I said, hey, I'm going to do this. But it took a lot of work to, to get to the point. It took a lot of work to reconvert my mind into being like, hey, I'm ready to balance for one-on-one -on -one play to I'm trying to balance for commander play. And there's a lot of things you have to think about. One is that when you're playing one-on-one, -on -one, you... Uh, you're always thinking about how you're going to crush your opponent, right? It's, it's zero sum. In a multiplayer, there's a lot of different factors to take into consideration. You've got um, you've got politics to consider as well. There's a lot of cards we'll work on, and I'll be like, well, this card's pretty strong, but also if you play it, everyone's going to try and kill you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is a thing you don't think about in a one-on-one -on -one game of Magic, right? So there's elements like that you have to totally rejigger your brain to wrap around. There's effects that you can design in one-on-one -on -one play. You're like, oh yeah, of course we're going to have discard effects in the format. Duh, it's, it's, it's the standard. And in Commander, well, we don't want to do discard because it's not very fun. Players are not going to enjoy it in this environment. So there's a lot of stuff like that you have to kind of reconfigure your brain to think about. And after reshaping my mind for like six years, I feel like I'm finally there. So it takes a lot of time. Um, but there are a lot of things we think about differently on both ends of the spectrum. I do think one huge advantage that Melissa and I have when working on Commander products is we have walked in both worlds, right? We can see uh, how to balance things from like a, a competitive standpoint. We know concepts like really well like card advantage or tempo or all kinds of things as we're playing um, that allow us to create cards with this finesse of like a, someone who has played on the competitive side, uh, but still try and keep that casual fun nature to it. So I, I think that's something we both get to do really, really well. Excellent. Yep. Thank you so much, Gavin. Wonderful, yeah. thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, next question. Hello. Hi. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Great. Thank you each for coming out and everybody for always being so open and talking to the community. It's yeah. wonderful. I really appreciate it. And I was curious about kind of tangential to Commander, um, formats like Conspiracy. Like if we're ever going to see, you probably won't be able to say yes or no to this, but 
obviously would love to see Conspiracy 3. But from a design perspective, uh, one question I had was, how deep would you consider the vein of conspiracy mechanics, like the conspiracy card type, if we would ever see more of those? Or are those too powerful where they are? Or is it just like too parasitic? Okay, so your question is about uh, conspiracy the card type. Yes. yes? Okay. Correct. How deep do we see the gameplay and that design? Do we expect to see more conspiracies? Uh, Gavin, I'm going to throw this one to you. Yeah, big big fan of conspiracy formats. As I was on both conspiracy teams, lead designer of Battle Bonds. Love that kind of ancillary set. Um, I, I think. I personally think someday we will do a Conspiracy 3. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to do that for, for a long time. There's a lot of cool stuff we can do there. I think Conspiracies have a lot of fun space for magic design. And as a multiplayer format, you know, we're talking about the future of Commander here. What yeah. are some of the challenges? Um, one of the things I think about is we're making a lot of stuff for Commander, but multiplayer is wider than just Commander, yes. right? And so stuff like Conspiracy or Battle Bond lets you get that multiplayer fix in a very different way. So I think that's important, too, to kind of fill that gap for players. In terms of what you're asking about with the Conspiracy card type, like what else could we do with it, I think there is a lot of potential um, for things that start outside the game and modify your game in some way in a Vanguard-style sense. Um, I've tried exploring that space a little bit before. It's never really turned up anything. I remember, um, here's a fun story for you. With Commander 2017, we tried something called Secret Missions, where at the beginning of the game, your commander would let you have a deck of like five, it, was, it did not work at all. You had a deck of like five secret missions, and every game you drew one, and you were trying to complete the secret mission with your commander, which first of all, made no sense for a Creature Type Matters product, so I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but it was my first <laughs> product. But second of all, it was just, it, it was fun, but really hard to make work in Commander, because you didn't know what you are building your deck around, and then like, if you have the same conspiracy every game that's like a thing you're building around and it's a mystery other people could uh, it's not a mystery the second time you play right it's pretty obvious what's happening and if it's face up it's a huge advantage to your board so I think there's a lot of fun in, in, in that space we haven't really cracked that nut yet I think space we'll get to eventually um, and you'll just have to, uh, to wait and see what we can do with it I do think I'm going to say a word that is dreaded so prepare yourself I do, do, do think that companions play in that space in kind of a fun way where co- companions in general problematic in a few ways, don't get me wrong, but for Commander, I think they've actually been really fun. Mm -hmm. What we have learned is that to get a Commander player to... um have a deck building incentive, you just have to like give them the smallest treat in the yep. world. You're like, would you like a five mana creature you have to pay three mana to put into your hand that you might cast at some point in the game? And they're like, yes, I will make my deck have no cards that cost below three mana to play this, 100%. <laughs> um, and so I think that companions play fun in that space. And uh, I've even talked about doing some commander-only companions, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. So maybe that's space we could play in at some point or another. Who knows? Yeah. Very cool. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. And uh, I was going to say one other thing about the uh, the uh, dungeons. They've been great. Yay. Also curious if kind of with Conspiracy, a little flip. Like what if it's co- cooperative with mm. multiple people against a dungeon and a dungeon <laughs> deck type of a thing? Yeah, cooperative uh, dungeon run kind of stuff, I think. Kind of like the, uh, the Hydra deck from yes. Theros yeah. is what that reminds me of. Yep. I, I, I really love that style of play. I think co-op play is uh, magical. And I know that Pastimes is actually running that format this weekend. They call it Boss Monster. It's incredible. You should sign up for that format. Enjoy it. As far as whether we'll see Commander cooperative play, very future question. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, someday, maybe. I'd love someday to see Someday, maybe. It. I would love to see it. But yeah. Well, we already have things like Two-Headed Giant. Yes, and even yeah. this weekend, there's Emperor, which is yeah. like a, a three-on-three play, which is something that, I don't know, wasn't even popular, but it was something that I played <laughs> back in the 90s. And How dare was, you? I love Emperor. It was really fun. I, I don't know. But it's, ha- it's happening this weekend. And like that's yeah. sort of a cooperative experience where yeah. you just have your team of three against a team of three. Yeah. You know, it's weird, Melissa. I feel like a lot of games turn up team games against me. I don't know why it happens. Just uh, so I feel, weird, I feel like uh, it becomes all, all beat You're one person threat? co-op. It's so strange. Mm, yeah. right. Unsurprised. Thanks. Yay. Hi there. Uh, my name's Nick. I just got a quick question for you. Awesome. Um, so my understanding is that for competitive play, uh, you all, I mean, you have a lot of tournament data that can help you figure out when like, oh, maybe we should avoid this type of design in the future. Uh, what are the sources of information you're getting for commander and casual play that help you know uh, what types of designs you should avoid and, and what you should pursue further? We have so many different sources of information. I'm going to name the first two I can think of off the top of my head, and then you guys go. Uh, we have uh, commander on Mitko, and then we also, again, have our lovely 
uh, RC, who we talk to all the time, who's got the beat on the community. Where else do we get information from about what we're going to do with designs in the future? Uh, so a lot of it we get from social media. Yep. Um, and a lot of it is from we see our products come out and see the player reaction mm -hmm. and then learn from that. Like We learn from our mistakes a lot. Yes. And we also read a lot of community feedback. Like I read a lot of Reddit personally. So even though I'm not very active on there, I probably read your posts and your mm -hmm. comments. And, and I am, you know, taking everything in and seeing what we did wrong and trying yeah. to improve in the future. Yeah. Gavin? You. Yes. It, it's as simple as that. It's the people in this room. Like coming to events like this and walking around and talking with players is how we learn things. I mean, I, I, I'm on the internet too much. Yes. And uh, I spend a lot of time reading things like Twitter, Reddit, uh, everything and, and everything. But being in a room like this and talking with people and seeing what is actually played, not just what yes. is theorized about yeah. in tweets, but what is actually happening at an event like this is where you, I think you see so much of what's really going on mm -hmm. in the world of Commander. So, you know, ultimately we're never going to be able to include one of me in every booster pack that can monitor what's happening in your home game, right? We're never gonna have total visibility. So talking to people who are playing events like this is as close as we come. So going to game stores as well. Yeah, I love absolutely. going to game oh stores, gosh, seeing what's happening. Thing. I love going to events like this yep. and I love reading stuff. And it really is learning from everyone around us, keeping our ear to the ground and mm -hmm. seeing what we find out. Good yeah. question. Yeah, very good question. Thank you. Hi, I got a, I got a, a one. Move the mic a, down just a little bit. There you go. There we go. Thank you. He was tall. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, okay. I remember. So I'm curious if you have any like specific mechanic you want to build a set around that maybe you got initially told no, or it's in your back pocket and you know that it's going to be insane and you're just waiting for it. And if you could share it with us, that'd be pretty cool. Ah, do we have any... What if I could mechanics? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got so many of those. I, I, got, I got a notebook full of what if so I could deep. mechanic. Yep. yep. Um, I have one that I'll tell you about because it's never going to happen, <laughs> um, which is I've wanted, I love the idea of side decks for magic. I yeah. really enjoyed contraptions in Unstable. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever really going to be a thing in mainline magic, but I've had so many ideas. I remember in, in Ixalan, original Ixalan, I tried having a treasure chest side deck and cards would have you, you like open treasure chests and then you would like crack open your treasure chest and see what cool cards were inside, which, you know, was cute and also uh, required a thousand interactions with your hand and <laughs> another deck and you fumbling to open your deck box to find the thing. It was horrible, but I've always I've always been enchanted by that idea. Um, and maybe someday, if the time is right, things will align. We'll get some some hot side deck action. But I don't think there's going to be uh, it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. But I do love it. Maybe uh, I always say, you know, Rosebar talks about this a lot. If you're at Wizards long enough and you have something that you love long enough, eventually you will find the place for it, right? Yeah. Uh, you, when you're a new designer working on Magic cards, you're like coming in first set. All my best ideas got to go in this set because it's just your first set. You're like, I want to get my stuff in here. I'm so excited, right? But what you learn as you're at, at at Wizards for longer and longer is it's not about getting your stuff in at the first opportunity. Yep. It's about finding the right place to put your stuff. Yep. And so I have mini mechanics or cards. I have waited years to get into magic sets and now they're finally going to come out someday. Um, and that's one where maybe someday I'll get it in. It's not today. It's not tomorrow. It's probably not five years from now, but you know, and we were, when we were celebrating magic 60 and 30 years, let's talk, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have like Strixhaven with their, uh, that mechanic is similar to what you just mentioned. But like obviously powered down because you have to use up your sideboard space and it doesn't really work in Commander. But thank you. Well, that's actually a great example. So Strixhaven's Learn Lessons yeah. originally was a mechanic in Kaladesh called Invention, mm -hmm. where we were trying out you getting one mana cost artifacts from your sideboard, yeah. and uh, that turned out to be a problem for a number of reasons. We didn't do it, <laughs> but then in Strixhaven we brought it on back with Learn Lessons. So it's a great example of how you keep something around long enough, it comes on back. Yeah. Thank you. I, I have kind of a side story about this that is uh, more product related than design related. So before I came over to design, I was a product architect, uh, which means that I did a lot of uh, vision for the future of magic products. And uh, one that I loved when it first came out and just wanted to see in as many places as possible was Jumpstart. Um, I think it's one of the best things that we can do for new magic players. and. Uh, I asked the question one day, why can't we do Jumpstart with every set? And I got told, no, 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 no. And then I waited. I waited and I plotted. And eventually we were able to make set Jumpstart, which is going to come out with Dominaria. So magic grows and uh, we keep a ton of ideas in our back pockets for the future. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll add one final note about mechanics. So we have these mystery booster packs, and in every pack there's like a little playtest card. Mm -hmm. Very often, that playtest card is something that we actually did playtest. And 
it was like node for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it was not fun. Maybe it was not going to work in competitive magic or whatever. But, and, and also like sometimes those cards actually do get printed in the future. So it's like kind of funny to see one and be like, oh, this card was in Theros Beyond Death, you know? Yeah. So look at those and that'll give you a good idea of, <laughs> of some of the cards that we had to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yep. still working on the uncovered cavern plot booster for a uh, plane quake. <laughs> Someday that'll show up. Good luck, Gavin. Thank you. Thank you. And also, if you're just joining us, this is the line for questions. You can just stand up and ask. Yeah. So um, I think you're the last person in line. So if you have questions to ask, now is the time to get in line. Get in so. line. All right. Hello. Hey. Hi. Um, hello. Thank you for the work that you do. Uh, appreciate you. Um, just an anecdote to start. Uh, Gavin, what you were saying about uh, uh, opportunities at Wizards. Uh I thought it was really cool because my uh, my brother um, my brother Evan is uh, he started going to college because he just wants to uh, design the cards he wants to manufacture the dang cards Yay. so um, I thought that it's like hey that's that's someone got a foot in the door anyway yeah. um, so I wanted to ask let me paint you a picture um, uh, okay uh, can't get to sleep on time I got work in two hours uh, I uh, finally am able to get get me some sleep. I shoot, uh, shoot awake at, oh, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning because I'm like, wait a second, that card's not going to work in that deck. That needs to come out. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, so anyway, what's your, um, uh, uh, any anecdotes for, uh, you know, halfway through designing a set? Um, uh, recently, I watched a video where uh, Gavin used the words, the concrete starts to harden. Um, and uh, uh, when, uh, when does the anxiety about, like, wait a second, that can't work? kind of set in the whole time the entire yeah, yeah, yeah. time probably about the time that Dell starts saying okay we have to typeset I think <laughs> yeah Melissa go ahead and take this one yeah it's hard I kind of feel like we're never done with a set no. there's always work to be done but at some point we have to just say okay we're done so like the anxiety is kind of happening all the time but you know I just like to trust the process and yep. like do our play testing do our iterating and our changes and stuff and Eventually, we have to be done, but yes. it's really difficult. It is. Yep. Uh, I would say a um, couple things. The, the first is that, um, you know, I studied poetry. That's right. You're missing out on uh, me being a high-paid poet somewhere. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and what my teacher told me one time is poets never finish. They just give up. And that's, that's how I kind of feel with magic. It's like someday you just got to get it out the door, right? Yep. We keep ma we're making a set. The day comes to ship it. And you're like, well... This is as good as I got it, and we're going to get it out, which sounds kind of defeatist, but at some point, it's important to like let go mm -hmm. and go work on the next thing, right? And Because we, we could sit there tweaking a set for six years if we kept doing it, right? So at some point, you got to release the set. I think that's pretty fun. I'll say for me that the part where the concrete starts to harden the most is when you commission your artwork. Yeah, Because once definitely. you commission artwork, that's where a lot of things start hardening down. For example, if you commission a creature that has flying, well, you can't suddenly take flying off the card, mm -hmm. right? If you commission a giant... You can't just ungiantify it. You can't make it a one-one creature. So that is a really, really big one. Mm -hmm. um, as far as moments where I've like bolted in bed awake and be like, ah, oh, wait, uh, th this doesn't work. Um, uh, one or I'm, I'm missing this or whatever. I think one thing um, th that's happened to me a number of times. One thing you'll find with universes beyond, as we continue to dip our toe in there, is sometimes you'll be like, oh my gosh. We, we, we didn't do an XYZ. It's just all time to do an XYZ for this for this thing, right? And uh, that's the thing I think we'll continue to be like, I hope I got everything that people loved in there, right? Because when you're making a, a set around Lord of the Rings, for example, um, making sure that you have all the all the stuff players will want in that is really, really important. Yeah. So. Uh, and I, what I will say is, uh, if your brother's going to school for game design, what I want to mention is we run an internship program, and we actually have two amazing interns right now on the casual play design team who are working on a future set jumpstart. So... Tell your brother to reach out because you can make magic cards before you graduate college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask, I know there's a lot of big focus on Commander and how we can do Commander, but what about for 60-card casual format, just like kitchen table magic? I think that's a big place. We always are constantly bombarded by Commander, mm -hmm. Commander this, but what, what kind of how do you approach designing for 60-card casual formats? All right, I'm going to let Melissa take this as the tech lead of, of uh, casual play design. Oh, You're welcome. Um, so for me, a lot of it is things like just uh, limited, like limited mm -hmm. mechanics, limited set structure and color pairs. A lot of those like will translate to casual 1v1 play like really nicely. 
Um, for example, the t like a, a casual player might only buy like 10 packs of each set or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, if the mechanics for limited are playing well together, then they're going to be able to build really cool 60 card decks. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so we just really take limited into account there and make sure that those archetypes are fun and balanced and, uh, and just cool to play. Yeah. Gavin? yeah, exactly what Melissa said. I think often our limited archetypes are what help us mm -hmm. figure out what the kind of casual things are going to be. But it does tie in a little bit to what I said earlier, too, where we're trying to investigate more things besides just Commander, right? I mean, Commander's awesome. We love it. We're literally at an event called a Command Fest. But I think that 60-card casual magic is also delightful. Let's yeah. not forget about that. And uh, doing things in the future to help promote that is great. And to what Sarah was talking about, I think Jumpstart plays into that super well, right? A Jumpstart decks often feels like that kind of casual magic format where you've mm -hmm. got, you know, your zombies and your, and your uh, I don't know, your goblins in the same deck together. <laughs> And you're seeing, seeing what's going to happen with the zombie goblin deck. Yep. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential there. I also think that the experiment we ran with uh, the guild kits a few years ago with mm -hmm. Ravnica was a great one, too, of like, here's 60-card casual constructed decks. Um, so who knows? Who knows what the future may hold? Yeah. Great question, though. Yeah, thank, thank you so you much. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So we have about 15 minutes left. Let's keep a few more questions going. Hi. Uh, I've got a quick question about Universes Beyond. Sure. Um, so without getting into any specifics, yeah. uh, what do you think the limits are for the tone of the properties that could qualify for a uh, universes beyond? Like, is there anything that's too silly or too dark? Mm. I think a lot of what we look for in universes beyond is about depth and magic. You know, we look for sort of what can fit, like what, you know, what fits kind of how our game system works. Uh, and I'm going to hand it over to Melissa or Gavin, whichever Gavin, Gavin's the guy for you to answer more questions about how we assess universes beyond. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to level set the conversation, I don't work a ton on universes beyond mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but I think the key for us at the end, we do the, this universes beyond is it, should feel like it has some connection yes. somehow to a game or a game of magic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think uh, we're going to be doing like Toll House cookie tie-ins or anything yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> That's not, not really on the radar for us. Um, but I think you'll see a very wide tonal range. You know, yeah. we've seen magic as a very narrow tonal range for a long time. And one of the things University Beyond helps us do is expand our audience, right? Mm -hmm. And getting more people in of more backgrounds. And things even recently like the, um, the Fortnite secret layer that we did. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not a Fortnite player. I have no connection to Fortnite. I think it's really cool that a lot of people who, uh, enjoy that game are like now looking at our stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot more to say on this because it's not really yeah. my, my bag of cabbages. I mostly work on, on other things. Ooh, Melissa thought of things to say, Melissa. Uh, so one thing that we factor in is how deep is the world, yes. right? And also, how do the characters in this world like translate into the color pie of magic? Mm -hmm. For example, for Warhammer, a lot of those are very black aligned, right? Because I, I don't know a lot about Warhammer, so I might not know what I'm talking about, but there are a lot of black aligned. I'll just like trust the lead designer that he says there are a lot of, of black aligned, so we'll just go with that. So that would be a really weird magic set for a booster mm -hmm. set if most of the cards were black. So for a set like that, we're going to do something else like commander decks. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if it's like all, if it's a very like small number of characters or like not a very deep world, like like Stranger Things, for example, that one is more likely to be something like a secret layer with only a small number of cards because there's just not enough content to make that into a magic set. Yeah, can I just ask a question? The crowd of the fest. Who out there is excited for the Warhammer 40k decks? Yeah. Uh, just clap, yeah, clap good, if you yeah, want. Good. Okay. Who, uh, who does not care uh, one way or another about it? Yay! Also okay. good magic. And you know? who actively hates that we're doing it? Ooh, that's okay. No, it's okay right. to hate. Great. It is Love okay to, to hate some of the things we do. Perfect. This is this is an informal poll. I'll now go back and tell all of our executives yeah, that I have concrete data about what's it. happened. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hey, so uh, you mentioned earlier you're on the internet a lot, probably too much. So, um, <laughs> and obviously there's a lot of criticism going around on the internet. So my question to you would be, um, how do you address criticism? And this can be outside of magic. I don't know. Maybe, you're, maybe your significant other doesn't like how you cook something. So uh, how do you address criticism or how do you respond to it? I, yeah, so I, I, I actually want to take this one for a second. So uh, you hit on a super important thing, which is how do the game designers and the people who make the games that you love see the things that you post on the Internet? Because uh, sometimes they're really emotional and, and can be really negative or really positive. I would say that for me, at least, 
the way that I deal with, you know, kind of the negative criticisms that I see on the internet is I try to think a little more deeply about them. I, I look into it and I say, okay, what are you trying to get at? What is the question that you're asking? What is, what is, what are you driving at? What would you like to be seeing? And so for me, it's thinking deeply into, uh, kind of what I'm actually reading. If I'm seeing trends among criticisms and things like that, and also taking care of myself because it can be really hard to read negative things about the stuff that you do all day. Um, but I address criticism by sort of taking it in equal parts with the, uh, positivity and sort of looking a little more deeply about what they're saying. How about you, Melissa? So as I said, I do read a lot of Reddit, which means I read a lot of criticism and, you know, a lot of things that make me sad. So, uh, but anyway, what do I try to do is uh, I just try to pull out things that are actionable yeah. from the feedback yep. and just try not to take that stuff personally because, like, they're not mad at me. At least I hope not. They're probably more <laughs> mad at, like, wizards more broadly. So I just try and be like, okay, what is this person actually trying to say? Mm -hmm. What can I take away from this? And, like... How can I make the product better? Mm -hmm. Gavin, do you have thoughts? I, just, I never spent any time on the internet. That's uh, never happened to me. No, I, um, <clears throat> I, I do something that's really useful for me. Um, I think this might be useful for all of you just in your everyday lives with, with the thing. Usually when someone says they don't like something, especially with magic, mm -hmm. what they're really saying is, I love magic so much yes. that the thing you're doing is upsetting me that it's not making magic the way that I want for it to be. And I think that's a really important context to have here, right? Because if someone's like, hey, I don't like, uh, I don't like XYZ and Nuka Penna, I don't, it's like, well, what they're really saying is, I love magic and I wish Nuka Penna was better. And here's how it could have been better, right? I think reframing that is really important because very, very rarely it's someone being like, Melissa, I don't like you, right? That's not, not what they're saying. They're being like, hey, I, this, this thing about magic could be better. There's also a quote I love from Neil Gaiman, which is um, when people tell you something is wrong, they're almost always right. When people tell you uh, how to fix it, they're almost always wrong. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a great, great quote. A lot of magic players give a lot of opinions on how you should fix them. And usually I find that if enough people say it, they are correct. Something is wrong and we do need to change it. But the methodology of how it's recommended might be different. And also we have the full picture, right? We know what magic is going to look like for years and years and years. So we can find ways to address that you might not have even thought of yet. Um, which is pretty meaningful, I think. So that's a few things, a few things for me. Yeah. Other than that, uh, you know, I spend too much time on the internet, so <laughs> I take it all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi. Uh, thanks for coming out. And, you know, I actually really like the sets that are coming out. Yay, good. So I just thought I'd give you that compliment. Woo. Um, and I was wondering, you know, like, I play a lot of Commander, but this is a, a format with a shelf life in a certain respect. As the card pool gets bigger and bigger, it's going to like narrow and become a little more solved and then some other formats going to happen you can kind of see that happening with like vintage and legacy and modern mm -hmm. um do you guys have other formats you're keeping an eye on like like fringe stuff stuff that's kind of on the outside like what do you guys think about when you think about magic 20 years from now mm, good question uh so uh the question was uh when we are thinking about how magic is going to evolve, what kinds of formats are we keeping an eye on? Do we keep an eye on formats that are not commander and popper and legacy and modern and all those things? Uh, what do we, what do we think there? How do we keep an eye on that? <laughs> we keep track of like most formats, especially competitive formats. I think it just comes down to, community feedback yeah. um if the format is popular we're going to pay attention mm -hmm. to it and design cards for it like yeah. modern is really popular pioneer is getting up there standard is mostly played on arena but still really popular so those are like the main three competitive formats that we keep track of but also popper is a thing that yeah. has a player base with a pretty passionate following as like gavin may, may explain later with his popper panel that he does and uh yeah, so just like formats that like players are passionate about and care about and there's like a community for are like pretty much the formats that we look at. Mm -hmm. I, I think to get at the heart of your question, you're kind of positing, are we going to have to see a split off of Commander at some point, right? Is Commander going to get too big that it's going to have to be, be fractured at some point or another into other, a different format? Is that kind of something you were, you were asking about? Sure. Legacy and Vintage. So I, I think what we've seen with Magic, so uh, two things. 
first of all, yes, we pay attention to all the fan formats people play, mm-hmm. right? So Oathbreaker followed that for a while, yeah. right? Uh, a, common, uh, a common, uncommon commander followed that. Like, we pay close attention to all this kind of stuff because that's how commander can be in the first place, right? We just launched those first commander decks, taking a fan format and leveling it up to something that was really huge. So we always have our eyes to the ground on that kind of stuff and pay very close attention to it. Um, in terms of, of, of formats, of course, we pay attention, attention to all formats. But I think we're in an interesting spot. I mean, yes, Legacy and Modern and Pioneers, us kind of splitting the format as we've gone further and further down time to uh, create more differentiation. And there's the question of, will that happen to Commander eventually? And I, I'll get this question a lot from a lot of people. And I can't read the tea leaves on that. I truly don't know the answer to that, that question. And I, I think that Commander, though, is in a place where it might not need to do that because the format does... Uh, it's not about optimizing the most competitive strategy possible, mm-hmm. right? Because you can play whatever cards you want with your friends. You know, 30 years from now, I think we could all still be playing Commander with a whole new array of legends and someone pulls out their sweet old Commander deck and you've got your brand new Commander deck and they're compatible with each other. Of course, as more cards come out, the, there will inevitably be, be I mean, it's just going to happen. There will be mistakes that are made, right? There'll be cards that are too strong. And there might need to be drastic le- format level changes that happen at some point. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that's a for sure thing that at some point we'll have to split Commander into something else. I mean, um, yeah, time will tell. Time will tell on that one. I think that's part of our challenge, right? Back to our initial yeah. question. How do we make sure that Commander uh, stays fun and engaging mm-hmm. and you have even games? I mean, that's one of the things that ties right into that. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Great. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. Who has a burning question that they haven't gotten up to ask? We have two humans coming down. All right. We can take them both, right? Yeah, we can take we both. We can take them both. Get, get, get in line. Get in line. Get That's in right. Line. Don't, you don't leave your questions, questions unanswered. We want to be here. We, like we said, listen to y'all. So, hello. Yeah. Okay, so you were just talking about... If you can lean a little closer to the mic and yeah. chat into it. Okay, so you were just talking about how sometimes you make mistakes and those mistakes will inevitably snowball like the further along you go into Commander, like just as a format, because mistakes accumulate and people will use those mistakes to get an advantage because that's people so my question is do you how do you address those in such a long-term planning way because if you make a mistake do you you don't want to ban it necessarily because maybe the card itself is still good it just makes bad play patterns so do you like what's your what's your correction system for that kind of thing I think Melissa probably has a pretty decent answer to this. So what do we... Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm on it. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, So the question is sort of, how do we integrate the past? How do we think about places where we maybe wish that we had designed cards different as we are designing the future and as we are playtesting the future? What do we, how do we think about sort of the, the color breaks and the, the kind of overpowered cards? How do we integrate that into the future? (laughs) so one challenge for us is we have to wait so long from when we stop working on a set and for it to come out in the real world so like we can't even see the results of our work for like nine months to a year so that's always a pretty big challenge for us and there's always going to be mistakes that come out of that but um i guess to answer your question like how do we how do we balance around mistakes of the past is i think what the question was getting at yeah um and like we take them into consideration but like for the most part we're not going to like balance around Mm -hmm. cards that are just power level outliers like for example something like uh let's take doubling season because i think that's a good example every planeswalker will ultimate the turn after a doubling season comes out. Yep. And we can't realistically say, oh, we can't push this ultimate on a planeswalker because doubling season exists. Like, mm-hmm. if they're going to play doubling season, every other planeswalker already goes uh, ultimates the turn after with doubling season. So, like, for the most part, we're going to ignore effects like that within reason. Like, we're not going to ignore, like, every effect with doubling season. We're still going to, like, factor into, like, the most common play patterns with that particular card. But the outliers of that card, like... We're mostly just going to not take those into consideration and just try and make the most fun individual card as possible and, like, not really... Yeah, we, we're not going to design around mistakes of the past mm-hmm. because they're just mistakes of the past that yeah. we can't really get away from. Yeah. Yeah, we have to keep working to make 
the magic of the future better. So, Gavin, do you have a little bit of thoughts on this? I was just going to say that I think to what we were talking about earlier, a lot of it, the unique thing about Commander is it is self-policing. Yeah, it is a group absolutely. of players you're going to play with. You have to choose what cards are in their decks, right? If you want to go play CEDH in this room, you can, and you'll play against some of the most powerful cards ever printed in the format. Mm-hmm. But not everyone's playing that way. And uh, it's as more and more cards get made, we will, we'll, we'll make mistakes. It is inevitable. Yeah. We will make mistakes. We'll make cards that are too strong. It's mm-hmm. just going to happen. And some of them might get banned. It could happen. But we, we don't control the ban list. Yep. The, the RC controls that. And there'll be some cards that are above the line but below the ban line. So it's up to your playgroup to help figure out what cards are right to play. The players you're playing with to help figure out what cards to play. And that's part of, partially on us as we try and figure out how to make Commander yep. as close uh, a way to play with the most close power levels you possibly can. Um, yeah. Does that help answer your question? Uh, yeah, mostly. I was also kind of wondering like where where things like a hate bear would come into effect. Like we realize this play pattern is bad, but it's not too bad, but we don't want it to become worse. So we're going to print a card that's like it stops that effect or minimizes it in some way. Is that also taken into account? Do we do things in design where we are sort of uh, limiting the effect of prior uh, things that might be too powerful by kind of balancing them? Yeah, one second. Get over there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the question was basically when we ha- when we see things that are a little too strong, do we do things to balance them out as we design future cards? Like counterplay, like counterplay right? Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, like we definitely uh, make cards to have counterplay against certain effects. Um, I would say that those effects are usually more potent in 1v1 formats than mm-hmm. in commander formats. Yeah. Uh, because in commander, you just never know what you're going to play against or like what you're going to get really. And like your hate bear that I don't know, that counters non-basic lands or whatever, like, you might play against, like, all basics, or, like, players can generally ignore those effects in commander play than they can in 1v1. So, yes, we do make those types of cards, um, but I think they're mostly aimed at 1v1, but they do have... uh, Some effects in commander. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, they will see playing Commander as well. Mm-hmm. But I think there are trends, too, like uh, Treasure, right? Treasure been a big thing the past mm-hmm. few sets. Heard a lot from players about Treasure. We can start making some cards that are strong when there's a lot of Treasures in play, and those will naturally make their way into decks to help counteract some of the Treasure progression mm-hmm. out there. We can't get rid of all the Treasure cards. We're not planning to do that. But we can, to Melissa's point, make cards that will get into your decks that might fight Treasure naturally. So yep. that's one example. Thank you for the question. Yeah. We got one more. Thank you. One more. Hello. Hey. Thanks for doing this, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I... Uh, notice that you guys have taken into account a lot of community feedback. Um, I really enjoy that. Uh, yeah, good. I think the format's been getting better and better with every set. Um, recently, that like uh, a lot of people online have talked about like mono white card draw. Mm. Um, you know those type of things. Um, what's an area where you think that you know you might be able to dial it up a little bit um, in terms of balance or in terms of effects? Um, and then also on a side note, like uh, old effects like from back in the day like phasing has made its way back into the game what's another is that a kind of an area that you're looking at or anything you know related horsemanship to or bust what's up horsemanship or bust yeah exactly <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah yeah so what are we looking at in terms of like how can we dial up white where's chris mooney by the way uh, <laughs> uh and uh and then older effects as well like phasing where are we where are we looking to dial things up from the past yeah, so white was the weakest color in Commander by a significant amount. Yeah. So we just kind of looked at the color and said, all right, what does this need the most help with? And the thing that we mostly identified was card draw. So we made an effort over the past year or two to just make more card draw cards mm-hmm. that still feel white. Um, as for right now, what do I think is struggling the most in Commander? I think it's aggro decks. Like, aggro decks mm-hmm. just don't do well. Yeah, um, It's just really tough to just play a low-to-the-ground deck with creatures when you have 120 life to consider. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really tough. So like anytime we are working on an aggro design, um, we do want to like make that card like a desirable, compelling card for people to actually want to play in their deck. It's something that like I am thinking about because aggro is kind of weak. So I just would like it to be more of an option in Commander. As an aggro player, I agree. <laughs> Gavin, do you have any thoughts here? 
Yeah, I think we've done a lot of good work with white. I mean, I think we're always looking at what other colors could do or what, what people are lacking in Commander. Like, for a while, red needed help. We gave red a lot of help. White's needed help recently. Now white's doing really well. Like, it's mm-hmm. been juiced up in the past several sets. So, you know, now it's starting to look at where other holes in the color pie might exist. And I'm not going to give away what they are. Mm-hmm. But there's a few we've identified and shifted things around. You'll see the fruits of those labors in, I don't know, one to six years. Um and in terms of uh yeah stuff to bring back i one of the cool things i love about commander is that we get to bring back weird old mechanics it's one of my favorite parts of designing a commander product so um we got some weird old mechanics i got a few i got a few weird ones for you so stay tuned uh <laughs> stay tuned for that my there's all right i won't say anything more but yeah you should, you should, you should stay tuned all right excellent all right so we are up at one o'clock but the cool thing about being a command fest is that Melissa and Gavin and I will be here all weekend. So if you have questions and you don't want to get up and speak into the microphone, maybe find us on the floor and we'll play a game and you can ask us more questions. Thank you so much for coming to our panel. Gavin, Melissa, thank you so much for being here. I feel starstruck. Thank you Amazing. for being here too. Thank everybody. <laughs> thank all of you guys as well. Thank you, Rashad, for giving us a clap track. That is a very important. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Enjoy the command fest. Yeah.